Welcome along to the RTE Soccer uh, World Cup Daily Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. Mikey Stafford here today. This evening, I'm joined by Ed Leahy of RTE Online Sport and by Paul Curry. Uh, how are you getting on, Paul? Doing very well, Mikey. It's been a, it's been a long day of football. I've taken in quite a lot. Yeah, well, I know you're, you're doing God's work there. Um, just spare thought for Ed. Ed, you were you were live blogging um, the second of our nil-nil draws. So um, you're also doing God's work. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Two nil, all, two nil all draws in on what day day four is it? Yeah, it was, we were a long time getting a nil nil draw in Russia, as far as I remember, weren't we? So, um, it's uh, but still a significant day. It was always going to be a significant day from the 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 the, the first result. Um, I don't know, Paul. Your work takes you abroad a bit. You're not going to Saudi Arabia tomorrow, are you? Because you get nothing done. It's a public holiday. They've declared <laughs> they've declared a national holiday tomorrow. I'd be surprised there's any work done in that country for next week. I mean, it was it was such an upset, wasn't it, Mikey? Uh, everybody was so intrigued and excited, I guess, to see Argentina kick off off the back of their Copa America win and, and obviously that unbeaten record that they've had for such a long period of time. And Messi's been in, in such rich form for Paris Saint-Germain as well. It looked like it was it was all going to come together for them and it was, it was anything but. I actually thought they started the game relatively well. I thought for the first 15 minutes, they were in control of the game. They obviously had the penalty and uh, they had one or two chances. Messi had another chance within the 18-yard box. Martinez's goal, which was real day for offside, I'm still not convinced that was offside. I've seen a couple of images of that back online, and I'm not sure if the technology got it wrong or what or who was drawing the lines, but it certainly looks as if Martinez was was onside from what from what I could see. And if that had gone in, you would have thought that maybe that would have been the Saudis dead and buried, but they came back into it. And, and to be fair to them, Mikey, if you look at how they set up, they played such a high line. They were so aggressive in, in kind of how they defended and that sort of allowed them to get into the faces of, of the Argentines. And, and they didn't really like it and they weren't really able to handle it. And I mean, once it, it kicked on into the second half, it looked as if the Saudis were well on top and they and I guess they took their chances relatively well. And Argentina really failed to, to come back from that. I was, I guess, very... Um, underwhelmed with the reaction of of Argentina and, and how few chances they managed to create and how little pressure they managed to put Saudi Arabia under and it would leave major question marks over them as a country and what it is they're going to do in this competition I think the front you know the the kind of three behind Martinez doesn't really work Di Maria's not had a huge amount of football coming into the competition he's 34 now if Papu mm. Gomez on the other side is also 34 Messi's 35 and that sort of show today they were very leggy thought they really struggled to make an impact and it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here yeah um just for those of you listening just to be aware we are also kind of just keeping an eye on the last half hour or so of france via australia which is 2-1 at the moment coming up to the hour mark um paul is watching it on a television so he's a few seconds ahead of me and ed so if we hear him going ooh or ah we might all go quiet and wait to see what's happening just to just, just to keep you aware of that um ed um this was a magnificent defensive display from Saudi Arabia. Um, they really, really just seem to relish defending. And they, their their coach is um, Herb Renard, who is um, kind of known as a bit of a kind of, he's a, a problem shooter. He goes into like the Ivory Coast and Zambia. He's won African Cup of Nations with the two of them. And he's impressed a lot of people that he's actually, he hasn't just kind of, he doesn't kind of go in and spend a few months with the team and do training camps. He's been living in Saudi Arabia for a couple of years. And, you know, they're all, most of these players play for Saudi Arabian clubs. It's quite obvious that they're a very tight knit group. As Paul mentioned, that high line was very well drilled. And when, and when their backs were against the wall in the last half hour, they seemed to really 
relish the kind of blood and guts defending. Certainly did. And, you know, full disclosure, I watched the first half of this game and I obviously was watching Argentina closely because uh, as one of the favourites, I was, you know, starting to jot down little pros and cons of what I liked, what I didn't like. And then what I did like was I thought they had a good team ethic to, to it. I thought Messi looked happy. Um, I thought the coach and staff seemed to be, you know, one in with the squad. You know, I like I liked the way they were the way they set up and started. I liked, uh, you know, I just liked the way they were making the best of that, of that high line and they were really exploiting it. And I, like Paul said, I think I thought that offside decision may have even been given because Messi tried to join in with the play, you know. But then the graphic afterwards sort of showed that it was. It wasn't. It was for the for the for the player who scored. But uh, things about Argentina I didn't like just from watching that first half was, well, I don't like Angel Di Maria for a start. I think he's <laughs> long past. I, I know he's liable to throw a, a forty-yard screamer into the mix, but uh, I think at the last World Cup I was giving out yards about him as well. I, I just don't. I just don't think he's a anywhere near world class anymore. Um, and then I also didn't like the way there was, well, obviously they cheated for the penalty. Um, and there was a little bit of that. I could see there was a bit of theatrics going on. And I was just thinking about them as a unit. As the tournament progresses, that, you know, <clears throat> old habits will start coming out. And, they, you know, they, they just start to be spoilers. And, and that sort of semi-cheating that's going on, you know, because there was, remarkably, that penalty was awarded. And especially when you see some of the angles that were shown. And it just... He just held onto your man's hand and, and took him down with him. I think Gorty showed it quite clearly after the game with Kevin. You know, you don't often get a striker and a, a centre half agreement with each other, but Kevin and Kenny were totally in agreement that it wasn't a penalty. Um, and then, you know what? I, I had a few things to do this morning. So I said, I know exactly what I like with the Argentina team. I went off. Uh, 10 minutes later, I checked the RTE tracker just as I was going. Uh, I was upstairs doing a few things and I saw I missed the two goals. So I had to go back and watch it to the, to the finish. So to get to your question, uh, the defence was, was incredible, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was a remarkable display. And not just like from the front to the back, they were just throwing everything at them to, to keep the keep Argentina out. And like Paul said, Argentina didn't really inspire with that, uh, with a reaction. They didn't really have to know how to, to deal with that scenario. And what was it, 14 minutes of injury time at the end? And yeah, yeah, standard for this end, World Cup. The end, it was quite comfortable, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, well, com- comfortable in a, in a kind of, well, it was. I suppose it probably was more comfortable than you expect Saudi Arabia to be. But again, Paul, that, that comes back to the fact that they really seem to enjoy their defending and their goalkeeper just had he just had one of those games really didn't he where he was uh beaten by a penalty my wife was laughing at the penalty she says oh god Messi could have kicked the ball in a bit harder she just he just made him look stupid by rolling it in that slow yes well he's Leo Messi he said the wrong way it doesn't matter but after that the man was impenetrable um uh, Alois I think his name is it was it was an incredible performance of goalkeeping I thought it was, and you could probably throw the two centre-halves in, into that statement as well. I mean, because they played such a high line, I thought the goalkeeper was superb in with regards to kind of like when those through balls were actually penetrating the back four, he was there to sweep up, and he read the game brilliantly um, throughout kind of the 90 minutes. And 
that was certainly the foundation that they that they built on because they played such a high line. They were leaving so much space in behind them. The recovery runs and the speed from the two center halves was um was very sharp and it actually kind of enabled them to to play so high because they they were able to recover so well. But you would have to say that you know a better team probably would have exploited them. Being honest with you, I think if if this if the Saudis continue to play high and if Mexico and Poland get a look at that, I think that's probably an area that they could identify as getting in behind. But for how they managed Argentina and how I think just uncomfortable they made them feel in that 90 minutes. They didn't really allow them to get into any sort of flow. I thought Rodrigo de Paul and, and Paredes, Paredes in particular, really struggled in the first half. Uh, or sorry, in the 60 minutes he was on, he, he really struggled to get going. And he's somebody who Argentina have kind of leaned on to actually dictate play. And somebody who wasn't there is, is Giovanni Lacelso, And he's actually been very important for Argentina. Probably surprised a, a number of Tottenham fans, but he's been very important with regards to the run that they've been on and his absence was was kind of very adamant during that performance there was nobody to really link the play between the back four and, and kind of that front four and uh, they just couldn't get going and, and you kind of have to give the credit to Saudi Arabia on, on this occasion with just how aggressive they were in their play you probably expected that maybe come 60 70 minutes that would have died away but the energy that they played with and the aggression they played with for for the full 90 made it so difficult for Argentina they just couldn't find a way back into the game and with three points on the board, they have a really good chance of getting out of that group. I still don't think they will, but I think they've got a good chance now. Obviously, given given the fact and given the way the other results have gone. Yeah, it it does make it it makes it very interesting uh, to see how it goes. But I suppose after you know it's a World Cup that has obviously uh, been mired in controversy and scandal and ill feeling from a lot of people. So it's good to see plucky underdogs, likable. Saudi Arabia getting that win, and <laughs> this is this is the fairy tale story this World Cup needed. <laughs> yeah, it could only have been Saudi Arabia too uh, caused the first upset, wasn't it? But I suppose, like you know, considering how seriously they're taking their football in recent years, you know, is it any surprise that they're they're performing well? Like they're 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 a regular World Cup outfit, you know that sort of way. I think it was a sixth, this is their sixth or seventh World Cup. Um, so naturally they've improved and like there there's no star players they're a unit and like you said they're well drilled and the coach is real really seems to know how to work these uh, just his team and, and and he has them all working together and working hard and they put in some shift and you know I, I haven't heard an update on that uh, the injury but I'm, I'm hoping he's alright because he took some smack off the keeper I that he, that he stood up after it was remarkable. Yeah, it was sickening. But uh, the keeper couldn't even look at it because he, he knew straight away that he'd, he'd connected his knee on, on, his, on his jaw or whatever. Um, looked nasty, but look, thankfully, and funny enough, in that, in that same move, didn't the two defenders get back on the line and, and, and clear off clear the danger? So it just shows that they're, they're a really good football and alpha and they'd be, they'd be, they'd be one to watch. And I wouldn't be worried... Um, from their point of view, haven't watched the second game in the group because, <laughs> you know, there was, wasn't a whole lot of creativity in that one either. No. Uh, France have just gone 3-1 up. Uh, who else but uh, Kylian Mbappe? Um, haven't actually seen... Did you see it there, Paul? I've just, I, I just caught the ball hitting the net. Oh, here's our replay now. So it's... Yeah, uh, the flick header. Ball yeah, down the left. Yeah. It's been common. There's been a couple of chances cleared yeah. off the line. So my facial expressions watching this podcast <laughs> might suggest that there's <laughs> a few Yeah. Mbappe, Mbappe missed one um, 
just at the beginning of this half. He should. He did. Yeah, he, he went for too much power, didn't he? Yeah, but that's a superb, superb, that's beautiful header. I don't. I, I know most people didn't give Saudi Arabia a chance this morning, and obviously they showed us up. But really, even with the injuries, um, the uh, Socceroos did seem to be kangaroos to the slaughter here, and so it is proving. Um, back to that Argentine and Saudi Arabia for a minute, Paul. Um, there's a statistical company website called Grace Note, uh, who analyze football, and they've come up with the fact with the stat that. Saudi Arabia beating Argentina is the greatest shock in World Cup history, uh, bigger than United States beating England in 1950, Switzerland beating Spain in 2010, Algeria beating West Ham or West Germany in 1982, or even North Korea's uh, famous win in 1966 uh, for a number of reasons. But they reckon it was an 8.7% chance. Argentina coming in obviously unbeaten in 36 games. And... Um, having not lost against a team outside the world's top 50 in a very long time. So, you know, there's a lot of people who are talking up Argentina as real contenders here. Do you, do you think this writes them off or, you know, there is, there are, there's many examples of teams kind of bouncing back from a, a group defeat and, and going very deep into a tournament. So I don't, I don't know how, how bad do you think this is for them? It's a hard one. Is it, is it a case that, you know, it was, foot off the gas and they completely underestimated Saudi Arabia or was it uh you know a team that's kind of half cut coming into this competition I guess that the coming fixtures will, will tell that but I think the result in the Mexico and Poland game will probably lean in their favor I think their next game is against Mexico and I'd fully expect that they'd go on and win from there and I think if they're going into the Poland game only needing to to get three points I, I would suspect that they will they will qualify. Um, I think a number. Ch- I think they will make changes coming into the next game. I'd be very surprised if Julian Alvarez from Man City doesn't come into that that kind of front three and just inject a bit of energy and pace because they looked very lethargic at times. And I would not be surprised if uh, Martinez comes in for Romero in the back four because Romero was absolutely all over this place. Um, that relationship between himself and Otamendi, there was way too many gaps. They got down the side of them. They didn't look comfortable. So um, they've got they've got a couple of options there, and I'm sure they will utilise them. I would like to think that Argentina will get out of the group. I think it'd be a, it'd almost be a travesty if, if Messi in particular doesn't manage to at least get into the, into the knockout stages. But on the basis of what we've seen from the other two teams in that group, if they just open a gear or two, you would expect that they would probably have too much for both of those sides and, and they should have enough to get out of the group. Well, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's one shock that you didn't mention in your little list there and that's uh, Ireland beating Italy in 1994 joint stadium. Uh, we, we, we were too good back then, Ed. It doesn't feature anywhere in their top 10. We were too good. When we finished, Italy went on to the, reach the final. I know. So there's uh, a little bit of inspiration for Messi and the boys. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get you for a team that, that to uh, claw their way back from a bad uh, opening result. That's tr- uh, that's very true. Uh, 1990, obviously, England drew with us and went on to reach the semi-final as well. So the trick is to not beat Ireland in your first game, clearly. Um, okay. Uh, before we move on to the other two games today, I think I think if we're this is the uh, World Cup podcast, but um, he is playing in the World Cup. Uh, Paul and he has obviously stolen a few headlines again. Cristiano Ronaldo, his contract has been um, has been uh, terminated by mutual consent. I would say mutual consent at the uh, threat of solicitors, uh, very heavy solicitors coming in. So um, Cristiano Ronaldo said, following talks in Manchester United, we've mutually agreed to end our contract. I love Manchester United and I love the fans. That will never change. However, I feel 
it feels like the right time for me to seek a new challenge. I wish the team every success for the remainder of the season and for the future. Uh, this is clearly what he wanted, wasn't it? The whole Piers Morgan interview kind of had a bang of suicide by cop to it from the start, didn't it? 100%. And I would say ever since then, I'd say the the legal team of Manchester United have been hard at work to, to see how it is they can kind of get him out of his contract. And to be honest with you, Mikey, it makes sense for, for Manchester United. It makes sense for Cristiano Ronaldo. I'd say Eric Ten Hag is, is probably the most relieved man in, in Manchester at this moment in time. He can kind of get back to work and not have to answer questions about Ronaldo and, and focus on, I guess, the cohort of players that he has. But for Ronaldo, you know, he hasn't got many years left in the tank. Those years that he does have, he needs to, he needs to be playing football and... Um, if he's not in your starting eleven, he's he's going to be cancerous around around the the environment of of any football club, and that has proved to be the case at Manchester United. I'm not surprised they've got it done as as quickly as they could because you know they needed a reaction off the back of that interview. And, and for Portugal, it, it might it might help that I guess that has been put to bed, and you know there's I guess a bit of clarity with regards to Ronaldo and his future. Now he can solely focus on the World Cup, and then expect that he's going to be somewhere else during his club career when he when when he kind of comes back from the competition. But it's it's a bit of a sad ending. Um, obviously such a club legend there, and and what he done particularly in his first stint, even last season. To be fair to him, he banged in a number of goals and ended up as their top goal scorer last season. So. The statistics won't lie. Um, what he did for Manchester United first time round, the trophies he won, that will never be forgotten, I'm sure. But it's it's a bit sad that it's it's had to end in that way. It is, and but I suppose kind of in keeping with a man whose kind of career is almost outgrown most clubs you could play for, Ed, and you'd have to imagine he's he's not going to be ending up at a Champions League uh, challenger or maybe even a club in the Champions League this year. But he is in a World Cup and he is a free agent. You know, it worked for Gary Breen back in 2002, got his move to West Ham. It worked for Guillermo Ochoa, who saved a penalty today. He he was clubless back in 2014 and played a number of stormers for Mexico and ended up at Malaga. So Ronaldo's in the shop window now, Ed. It's just it's up to him to impress, isn't it? God, where could we go? Um, you'd wonder there might be there might be a little clause in there somewhere in the agreement where he cannot join any Premier League team. Um, although at the same time, maybe they're thinking, you know, do your worst. You know, we've seen you up close. We're not we're not too concerned about you. Um, I don't know. I think his move is going to be somewhere commercially viable, like uh, whether it's a PSG scenario or even. Uh, major league in America. Is he ready for there now? I don't know. Um, I can't see any Serie A teams um, affording that sort of wage uh, demand that will come with him. So, well, he doesn't have too many options, so it'll be up to him um, of where he can see himself I suppose yeah I suppose his options are that there's probably reasons out five football why he mightn't go to the MLS and then you're looking at is he would he end up in the Middle East for a payday Paul would he go home to Portugal for kind of the emotional kind of kind of rounding off of his career otherwise like if he's wanting to to stay in the Champions League like you can't see the, the the big hitters taking him on especially with the way he's left Manchester United so he didn't have many suitors when he tried to leave during the summer. You can't imagine him having many more in January. You might, you might think Saudi Arabia after today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the home of football. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's going to be interesting. I mean, don't be surprised if somebody like Todd Bowley took a punt on Ronaldo and 
he seems to be very involved in Chelsea Football Club, or at least he was in the last window. I sort of hope he, he doesn't, but there might be somebody who who needs him for a short period of time, who'll throw him six months until the end of the season and see what it is they can they can get out of Ronaldo. I know there's been a couple of reports that you know Benzema is likely out until the end of the season. Could he go into Real Madrid for six months? You probably expect not, but I mean, I kind of agree with what Ed has to say there. If if he is going to broker a deal to the likes of a Serie A club, his wage demands are going to have to come down because there's not many clubs in world football who can afford his his requirements when it when it comes to his wages. Um, is somebody with maybe a bit of a stance where they're trying to grow the club from a social media point of view, from a marketing point of view, would they take a bit of a stab on him and, and take the hiss of getting him into the club with maybe some consequences of what happens when he isn't playing. I don't know. It, it's going to be very interesting, Mikey. I'm not sure he's he's clearly not got the, the same level of talent that he had while he was at Real Madrid. The legs are slowing down. He's very much a, an 18-yard box merchant now. And where does that fit in in the modern game? I don't really know. I don't really know. I would be surprised if it's in within Europe. If it is to be in Europe, I'd say Portugal. But outside of that, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him go go kind of afar. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you would wonder, all right. Um, just to say, Olivier Giroud, who didn't have a shot on target in Russia four years ago, has got his second goal, and I think he's now equaled Thierry Henry's goal-scoring record for France. Uh, some guys have all the luck, handsome. Goal-scorer into their late 30s. Um, but it's interesting, Ed, isn't it? We might as well talk about France, because the, the result is beyond doubt now. It's There's 13 minutes left. Um we were talking about it on the podcast last night that perhaps we could be looking at another French implosion a la 2010. You know, some of the comments after, you know, player of the year, Karim Benzema left the squad, Giroud and Mbappe agreeing with each other that they played better together uh, without Benzema there. Um, it did seem that maybe things were unraveling a little bit. The um, the Pogba, bizarre Pogba blackmail story involved Mbappe as well, but if Didier Deschamps can kind of keep the lid on these guys and keep them focused, despite no Pogba, despite um, no uh, Benzema um, and the rest of them, they, you know, they're definitely, they could do what no team's done for 60 years and defend this trophy. Big ask, isn't it? Um, Yeah, well, the way they started the game today, you you certainly wouldn't have uh, suggested that one. But, you know, once they got back on terms and got ahead you saw the best of France in the second second half of the first half there they were all playing with smiles on their faces and Mbappe missed the sitter and he just laughed about it because he he just knew there was another one around the corner Griezmann is looking sharp um, oh, like, even Rabiot looks great in that French team you know so it's just the way the way they are the, the two the two lads White Mbappe and Mbappe are just Eaten defend defenders, you know, with the, with the speed that they've got. So, uh, like, look, there's there's question marks under under the defence. Australia, they are not a real judge of you know where where France is going to go in this tournament. But um, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm watching them on a after the international week we've had ourselves. I've been sort of watched the Dutch yesterday and French today to sort of see where where Ireland could possibly do. Uh, you know, and then the only thing I'm grabbing with this French team is if they do well here, that uh, half the team might retire for uh, the next campaign. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if they go all the way, um, but they'll certain they can certainly beat any team on their day, and I think they'll get better as as the tournament goes. 
Yeah, I think so. I forgot, obviously, N'Golo Kante also missing. So they're, they're, they they have a hell of a lot of players missing. Um, so for them to be to like you know this as you say this this is impressive, but there there there's greater tests to come for them, obviously. Um, looking at then the other game today that we haven't mentioned at all, obviously, was the first stalemate of the tournament when uh, Denmark and. Uh, so I'm looking at my wall chart. I'm not using my own brain anymore. That's the problem with the wall chart. You trust it too much. Denmark and Tunisia. Yeah, my my screen. One of my many screens is blocking it out. Denmark, Tunisia. Um, Paul. Um, as you said earlier, that was the chance to do a bit of work today, and you you, you failed to do it. The fact that I couldn't remember who was playing. The best thing about that game, I think, was when uh, one of the Tunisia players made a tackle early on and got up and um, absolutely roared at the crowd. It was a fantastic, a fantastic moment. Um, I, I, but it didn't really, it didn't really spark into life. And um, you'd wonder whether Denmark, they seem to be of a lot of countries, they seem to be kind of one of the more socially conscious or one of the ones who've kind of taken kind of what this World Cup means to heart quite a lot. And from some of the post-match quotes, it seems that there are players kind of struggling with whether or not they should be there at all, which uh, probably isn't what you want to hear if you're a you know a fan who wants them to be competitive it might it might warm your heart in some ways but it's a tricky one isn't it for for like you know people are telling Roy Keane who's been who was speaking quite stridently about it today that he should just do his job or not be there the players are all doing a job as well and that doesn't mean that they all want to be there and it is a tricky one and there is quite a school of thought out there that it impacted the Danish today I think it was certainly um, it would certainly, I guess, explain the, the Danish performance today because I thought they were sluggish. I mean, we've seen, I guess, you know, firsthand, don't we haven't played the Danes so much over the last number of years, how much they've progressed and and the players that they brought through and how well they did in Euro 2020. We just didn't see it today. Um, to be fair to Tunisia, particularly in the first half, they were very well set up, they were very well drilled and they were aggressive in their press and they did cause Denmark a couple of problems. But as Denmark, I guess, got to grips with that in the second half, and as they started to feel their way into the game, they still didn't really do an awful lot with the ball. They didn't create a huge number of chances. It has that sort of feel that everything has to go through Christian Eriksen. And unless it comes through him, they, they maybe struggle to create chances. Um, the fullback, Mele, who had a fantastic time in Euro 2020, is probably another outlet for them. But bar that, you're kind of struggling to see where, where the chances are going to be created and who's going to actually score the goals. Like Dolberg and Olsen started up top. They didn't do a huge amount. Cornelius and Damsgaard came on and Cornelius missed an absolute sitter from about two yards. He seemed more concerned about colliding with the post than he did with, with heading the ball in. And, um, you know, if he put that away, of course, Denmark would have gone on and won the game and had that real feel that one goal was always going to be enough for either side. And you would have fully expected Denmark to kick on, but they, but they never did. And for, I guess, many people, they were a bit of an outside hope that they might go on and do something. But on the basis of performance today, they've certainly got a lot of work to do. Um, the group isn't particularly strong. Like Australia don't look up to a huge amount here with France. Um, so you would ex- still expect them to get out of the group. But I'm not sure how much further they'll be going from there. Yeah, you said they've work to do. Ed, you'd wonder, like, it's their manager who spoke after the match, Casper uh, Hillmond. Excuse my pronunciation if that's way off the mark. Uh, it's worth reading out his quote. I spend too much time every day right now figuring out how to handle this. There are so many things I really want to say and many things I want to do. It's an old saying, find the calmness to see what you want to change, the courage to do what you can. 
and the wisdom to tell the difference. And I'm fighting with this, I have to say. I have never been thinking of other things when I'm with the players, but I can tell you I have difficulties finding myself here. In Denmark, we have this slogan called part of something bigger. And right now, I'm not sure if I'm part of something that I like. And a remarkable quote from a manager. And it seems it's more than just looking for an excuse for a disappointing nil-nil draw, you'd have to say. Yeah, look, I, I don't know what could have changed over the last six months to suddenly come up with that deduction. You know what I mean? Like, has it really hit home when they arrived over there? I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I think you almost have to take the Dutch approach to it. If, if you decide to go, try and just focus on the football. You know, the, the associations have tried their little, uh, I suppose at this stage, it, it can only be described as a gimmick with the, you know, with the one love armbands and stuff because they didn't follow it through. And if, if they all followed it through, um, I can't see how FIFA would have started giving out all these um, all these yellow cards and stuff. So I think I think FIFA called their bluff in that scenario. Uh, I think the Danes, I just I just don't think Denmark are a, a team that have progressed much since what 2016 or so when they were annihilating us in uh, what was it 2016 2017. Um, you know, personally for me it was great to see. Christian Eriksen playing today after what happened at the last big tournament. So that was just not, that was just a nice sort of, uh, you know, completing the circle sort of scenario for him. But I just, I see the team, I just don't see them being anywhere close to competing at this World Cup. And I don't think they've got the players coming through to challenge those regulars who are sort of keeping them out of the team. Hmm. Um... Looking ahead then to tomorrow, we have four games as always, all four live on RTE2, starting with Morocco v Croatia. Um, finalists last time around, Paul, um, but Ed mentions Denmark, a, a team that ha- haven't really, really developed. Um, Croatia do seem to still have a reliance on a certain 37-year-old uh, mm-hmm. named uh, Modric, who... Um, there's no shame in having a reliance on Modric, a team as good as Real Madrid, also still have a reliance on him. But um, without wanting to rule them out, having not seen them yet, it's it's fanciful to think that they've got another final appearance in them, you would wonder. You would think it's it's a bit of a stretch. Now, I'm sure, listen, heading into that Morocco game tomorrow, I'm sure that Argentina result will be a massive wake-up call to the likes of Croatia, you know, that they can't actually underestimate this opposition. But you would expect they've had too much. To be fair to Croatia, they've gone quite strong in in the Nations League. Uh, they finished top of their group with Denmark, Austria and France. So they they do bring a certain bit of form into this competition. But you're right in saying that they're, they are still very reliant on on two or three players. I mean, the, the middle of the pitch is, is where they tend to try control things and conduct things with Modric. They've obviously Kovacic from Chelsea and then uh, Brozovic at Inter Milan. So that's that's a really good, I guess, starting point for them. But they, they probably still have the same sort of problems that they've had in previous years. They've never really had an out-and-out number nine. They obviously had Mandzukic in previous forms. Like, great endeavour and great enthusiasm, but never, I guess, prolific in front of goal. And they still don't seem to have um, that number nine. And I guess when you see... Dejan Lovren at probably the tail end of his career still starting at centre half it would make you wonder about how efficient they're going to be in either box but I mean they've they've got a good style of play they've shown in the previous World Cup that they, they you know lace and deep in these competitions and if you can keep Modric fit he certainly has the capability to control 
a lot of games and the group is is one that you would expect them to get out of. But um, yeah, I think there's probably, if you look at the defence and uh, kind of that number nine position, I think that will be their Achilles heel. But I would expect tomorrow they shouldn't have any problems getting past Morocco. Yeah, uh, Kramerich is probably the, probably the man leading the line who... Ed talking about Ireland's hopes next year. We we we'd take a Cramerich around now. I think I think to to, to lead the line. Uh, Ed, I won't I won't quiz you too much on Morocco. Just refresh the memory that uh, they did get to the quarterfinals of the African Cup of Nations last year, and they were beaten by Egypt after extra time in one of those never-ending Egypt games. There seemed to be a lot of them in the last African Cup of Nations. I remember they have uh, Hakim Ziyech, obviously of um, Chelsea, um, would probably be their would would be their most well-known player. Um, and it it is, I suppose it's the joy of the World Cup, Ed, isn't it? That these teams, uh, you can spoof a bit if you want, but let's be honest, most of us, the African and Asian Af- African and Asian teams, you don't really know what you got until you see them. They're tactically flexible, world soccer tells me. So that, that covers a lot of angles. <laughs> yeah, well, but you know what? Um, you say we can't really judge the African teams till we see them in the flesh. I don't think you can judge any team at the World Cup until, until round one is over. Um, yeah, true, this the, World Cup, especially with one week lead in, is true, yeah. All the previews that you read and the favourites, suddenly the favourites, you know, are all plucked out because of just form and of past past histories and sort of and, and the name that goes with it. But like, you know, the first round of, of games, you generally get the teams playing their strongest 11 that are available. You're getting teams out to make a, a big start to the campaign. Uh, maybe Poland uh, an exception today. They sort of seem to be happy to just play for a draw from, from the from the start. But like, you know, so I just don't think you can you can you can judge until you see the teams. And yeah, it's hard to see how Croatia can replicate what they did four years ago. Um but I think the two I think Morocco always play good football and it'll be a good game. I think I'm looking forward to it. Uh, all the games tomorrow, actually, I think it's uh, set up for some, some really interesting games. Most notably, Germany, Japan, I think it's going to be really, uh, really interesting. Yeah, it, it does. Um, Germany, Paul, you kind of, you know, they, they seem to kind of, they, they're one of these, of the world powers, they always seem to manage to kind of underplay their chances a little bit or kind of, they're kind of dampen things down a little bit. But you look at their squad then and you're like, what, what are we dampening here? This is a... This is a team who's, you know, they clearly should be getting out of their group, the flying the ointment being there's another team in their group called Spain. So uh, it, this really is the group. And obviously, I think most people have probably circled um, November 27th for uh, Spain, Germany is kind of maybe the match where they feel this World Cup is going to spark into life. But they both would really like to get three points under their belts tomorrow uh, heading into that one. No one's no one's really spoken about the Germans, have they? Kind of come uh-huh. into this one, and it certainly feels like for Germany, it's 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 a bit of a free hit. Um, you know, they were extremely disappointing in in Euro twenty twenty. If you think back to that performance against England, there they certainly looked a bit off it there. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. I mean, you mentioned there, Mike. You look down through kind of the players they have and and the clubs that they're playing with. You, you can pick out a, a starting eleven there that will more than match the likes of because you want to pick out two teams that have done well, France and England, and you would expect that they'd be able to give them a game. I think, you know, what is important for Germany is, is the fact that they've brought in Hansi Flick. He obviously was so pivotal at Bayern Munich and he was so successful with the trophies that he won. It did need a bit of a freshening up after Euro 2020. I think Yoki Lowe would probably take them as far as he can. And 
with kind of the the next generation of player coming in, it was important to get somebody like Flick to to kind of guide them in that sense. One player that I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing is is uh, Musiala, young lad who was at Chelsea and coming through, and then has gone on to play for Bayern Munich, and he looks a real star. He's only 18, 19 years of age. He's played the majority of games for Bayern Munich this season, and it's been so good going forward. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to see Germany tomorrow. I, I think they they'll probably ease past Japan. At least I would expect they would. And you will you'd be interested to see what sort of a groove they can get into from there. They're obviously going to be tested early on against Spain, and that will probably be important for them to set them up for for those knockout games. But they've certainly got the players that they can make it click. Um, and if, once they get into that knockout stage, we all know what the Germans can be like. So, yeah, an interesting one. Very interesting to see how they get on. A um, couple of good young players and, and obviously first major tournament for, for Flick. Yeah, um, indeed. And, and Ed, we, we talk about the talent and I suppose those of us, there's a few of us, not saying you, who have kind of uh, maybe have a little bit of myopia when it comes to the Premier League and kind of view a lot of their football through there. People might be surprised at Timo Werner. Uh, erstwhile of Chelsea is, is kind of leading the line but looking at his stats I think it's about 24 goals and 55 caps um, very prolific uh, following in a, a line of German strikers who can turn it on at international level perhaps a bit more than they did at club level oh yeah but it's it's it's, it's so common isn't it like as I said we were talking about Rabiot earlier in France like some, some players just just turn up for the, the national team and it just suits them suits their style of play the way they come through and you know it, it, it's sort of it's probably more of a bad reflection on on their representatives who get the moves to clubs that don't maybe don't suit them you know and I think that's the case with Werner um that he just hasn't settled at a club level so I think oh yeah look Germany are just you know you just you, you just know you're going to get quality and consistency off of them and I fully expect them even 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 on Sunday's game against Spain I think I think they'll they'll look I think they'll be pretty comfortable in that not in terms of winning it but just not getting not getting beaten against Spain I don't think anyway. Yeah, I think that'll be the key for the two of them in that group. Spain you'd have to imagine will come through against uh, Costa Rica tomorrow I read today I think are one of the oldest squads in the World Cup on uh, some some good players but maybe their best behind them. So just final final word then Paul uh, Be- Belgium Canada Canada are one of the good news stories of qualification kind of bit of a surprise package and then you kind of read it, it kind of soured quite quickly afterwards to do with player bonuses and all sorts of stuff and um they're kind of they've been the kind of fairy tale in getting here, and the the problem with the fairy tale stories with qualification is often they're kind of they they quite abruptly end, and you'd have to think this Belgian team, God, we've been talking about the Belgian golden generation for longer than we talked about that English golden generation, but um, as just a, whatever about their prospects for the tournament, their prospects for beating Canada, you would have to imagine are very very high. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't have asked for an easier game, I guess, to kick things off. And you're right, this is this is very much sort of the, the last hurrah for that golden generation. I mean, there's a number of players who we've seen playing in the Premier League, the likes of Bertongan, Alderweireld, Eden Hazard. You would imagine this is, is their last sort of major tournament. I mean, we spoke about Croatia and, and sort of having an over-reliance on the same old faces. And you, you could probably say the same for Belgium. You know, any defence that's going to have Vertonghen and Alderweireld in it is probably not going to be good enough to go deep into this competition because... They're getting leggy. Uh, they've looked exposed at times, and that has been, I guess, consistent with some of the performances that they've shown for Belgium. But I mean, any team that has Kevin De Bruyne in us, uh, you know, will always have a chance. I'm fully expecting that he'll, he'll take tomorrow's game in particular 
by by um you know by the by the horns and kind of dictate things for them. Uh, I think Yuri Tielemans is another player in there. Like they've so much talent. Like if if you go down through their squad, the, the players that they have, and they might be on paper, but if you look at De Bruyne and Tielemans, even in the in the final third, Trossard Brighton has been flying this year. Uh, Lukaku is obviously out injured, but they've got options there with the likes of Carrasco, two Hazard brothers, uh, Jeremy Doc, who's a young player who's been coming through as well. So they certainly have. The talent, I mean, doing that consistently has always been the challenge for Martinez and they haven't managed to do that um, in major tournaments. They obviously, they finished third in the last World Cup. So, you know, they went deep in Russia, but I'm not sure if, it, if it's going to be there for them this time around. They should get, the group is is very straightforward. Belgium and Croatia qualify out of that. Um, how quickly Belgium can kind of hit a bit of form and a bit of momentum, that remains to be seen, but certainly got the players to, to challenge. Yeah, 100%. Um, as a Leicester City fan, you know, you've got a trio there, Castagna, Tielemans, and the new guy, Voutfass, who's, who's fantastic. Alfonso Davis is fit for Canada, Ed, which is which is good because he's the guy we know and his, like, wonderful story. He's definitely he's definitely their talisman, and if they're to have a hope in this group, I think they need their, their, their Bayern Munich star fit and firing. Of course they do, but, you know, when you, when you look at the group, you really... You know, is there really any any chance of a shock in that group? I just can't see it. Like you, you almost have to get two big results to get to get through that to get through that uh, that group for the likes of Canada. Um, it's funny, uh, Paul mentioned Yannick Carrasco there. Right? <laughs> he's another one. I, I I think he's the the Belgian Angel Di, Di Maria. <laughs> I just don't think he shows up on the big stage, and he gets these big money moves and. Big hype about him. I remember that was the last World Cup and the last year I was watching him. I, I just he just doesn't do it for me. Um, like Paul said, I think the Belgian uh, quality will come through there. Newer players, the, the likes of Trossard and uh, you know the, the sort of not necessarily the marquee names, but the likes yeah like Tielemans, um, Trossard. These sort of guys are, are going to carry the the baton. I think you know the likes of Witzel and. Others like as you said the the Vertongans and stuff. You, you imagine they're sort of they're they're fading in, in that Belgian team, and you you, you just you, I think I assume with Belgium they've got a better generation coming through. I think they'll be okay, you know. So I, I fully expect Belgium to uh, go right through that. Yeah, the latter stages. You would you would you would think so. Um... Just to update you, it is finished 4-1 after very respectable seven minutes of added time at the end of the second half there. So France uh, uh, begin their defence uh, very well. That that added time, by the way, uh, is we have Arsene Wenger in part to thank for that. And uh, he's also behind the new statistics, um, the possession statistics that you see come up where it's the 100 is now divided between the two teams and the uh, contest in contest stats, which is, which is an interesting one, Paul. As a former pro, what do you think of that? It's no longer one team has 40%, one team has 60%. Now we have, they're calculating for the time the ball's in the air, the time it's parried out by a goalkeeper and the time where, um, as we might say in GAA, where, you know, there's a bit of a ruck forms and nobody has quite got possession. Do you think that adds accuracy or do you think it's a little bit fussy? It's a bit fussy. I don't mind the, the statistics that kind of look at, at turnovers or transitions. Uh, but too many statistics. Statistics ruin the game for me, Mikey. I mean, too many sports sciences, too much data, 
you know, the one that wrecks my head is, the, is, you know, distance covered. And you might have somebody who's covered two and a half K more than the other player, but it doesn't tell you where they're running to. <laughs> yeah. Out of position, out of shape. Um, yeah, a, a few too many statistics, but I don't mind some of Wenger's ones there. The out of time one is, is interesting because the games seem to go on and on. And, uh, you know, Argentina and Saudi Arabia is a perfect example of that. But I'll keep my eye for, for the Wenger stats over the next couple of days. I saw some of them flash up there in the French game. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it probably probably sheds a bit of light in some of the work that maybe isn't as obvious um, to the naked eye of what some of the players are doing. Yeah. Um, Lisa Fallon of, of, the, of this parish is, is kind of part of Wenger's in crew in FIFA. So we might get around during the tournament to kind of give us a better explanation of it all. But Ed, I think the added time could be one of those things. Like they often get a big gung-ho on maybe it's yellow cards, maybe it's the use of VAR at the start of a major tournament. And I, this one, it seems to me that it's this kind of um, overzealous kind of policing of time-wasting that it's hard to see it progressing into the latter stages where we're going to have 12-14 minutes of added time for one reason you'd imagine the really the big beasts of broadcasting might start looking at this and saying uh you're messing with our schedules lads can you calm down a little bit yeah it's, it's funny i was thinking there was only an hour between the games you know and like if it gets to the knockout stages where there's extra time to be considered and penalties i wonder have they have they factored that in <laughs> But you know what? I welcome the I welcome the correct sort of additional time being added on because forever we've been given out about time wasting and you know not not seeing the correct amount of time being added on. You know, you're getting a token extra one minute instead of going four minutes, you go five minutes if there's been time wasting. When essentially it could be adding three or four minutes to it. Like there was the bad injury in the in the game earlier in, in the Saudi Arabia game, so you could see it, but. I'm just wondering, is is that coming from the bar officials or is the referee actually stop starting his uh, his own watch? Because even with the extra time within injury time, it seems to be uh, you know, it's it's a VAR thing, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. It's being calculated by VAR. Be. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, um, I'm going to get on to semi-automated offsides another day. I think we've spoken enough now. Um, so, as we mentioned, you've got four games tomorrow, uh, Germany, Japan, Spain, Costa Rica, Morocco, Croatia, and Belgium, Canada. So it'll be another productive day of work for you there, Paul. <laughs> um, you can watch them all on RT2 and the RT player, of course. And you can follow, if you can't watch them and you are trying to do a bit of work, you can follow our live blogs on the RT website and the RT News app. So just to say thank you to Paul and thank you to Ed, and we will catch you all again tomorrow. Good luck. Goodbye. Oh,